if you're happy and you know, clap your hands. Morris can't clap his hands. No, but he only has one front leg. Oh, that's right. He can toe tap the back. This is ableist. <laughs> hey, you know what, Morris? If you can fucking hop the goddamn fence, I know, you can do any fucking thing. Right. You'll be fine. Ugh, that motherfucker. All right. On that note, welcome back to True Crime Trine. It's a podcast. You know what a podcast is. And in this one, we talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. (laughs) We are your hosts, Hannah. (laughs) And Meredith. Sarah's still not here because we're recording the same night we recorded part one. (laughs) Peek behind the curtain. It's the magic that happens behind the curtains. (laughs) Though I did just read a podcasting what to do, what not to do, and it talks about podcasting etiquette. And I was just laughing my ass all the way through it. (laughs) But the guy was like, most podcasters like know this stuff, but what you don't know is all the stuff we take out while we're editing. And I'm like... True that, dude. True that. Yeah, you do clean this up a lot, which is why we thank you. But it is fun because half the time I've forgotten, like, the extent of our conversations. I have no idea what's coming out every Monday, and I'm just like, oh, I remember that. It's great. Some of the stuff that I cut, too, is, like, super fantastic, but it's, like, we got, like, super far off track. We do that. It doesn't like flow to the story or I'm trying to like keep it at us I mean we try to keep it around an hour we've had a couple that are bigger than that which is fine this might be a little bit more than an hour both of them just from seeing the recording time we didn't go that far off so I think they last week we did because I cut an hour and 15 last time I (laughs) pre-gamed and like already was drunk when we started recording and then I just had a lot of things to say it was so great, though, but... It was fun. As I go back and edit, I'm like, oh my god, we're hilarious. <laughs> and cut! <laughs> I have no housekeeping for this episode. Ah, uh, yeah. So, welcome to episode 71. Woo! Slash part two of Jack Unterweger. I don't enjoy him, clearly, but oh, like, no. his last name his is, name so, is fun. so fun. And I could be butchering it. But I'm having a great time doing it. It's a solid 10 for me. I think Ah, it's perfect. Wow. Jackie boy, last time we were talking, was uh, enjoying that engagement bliss with Bianca. 18-year-old Bianca. Mm-hmm. As well as his side chick, Elizabeth. Oh, that's right. Don't forget about Elizabeth. I forgot. <laughs> well, she'll come back, don't worry. Around the same time, Jack also initiated contact with the Gras Homicide Department. Seriously? Seriously. Hey! This man. I'm Jack. I heard you were thinking about me. Talking about me. They're like, well, thanks for calling. 
Do you have an alibi for October 25th, 1990 <laughs> or March 7th, 1991? Because he said he didn't have anything for April or May, but he didn't say anything about March. He didn't. But he didn't have any detailed information about either of those days, but he did remember that he spent most of the day of March 7th with his girlfriend at the time, Katharina. Okay. Which, uh... Still left the evening of March 7th open for Jack to be doing God knows what. But mm-hmm. the investigators also wanted to know what Katharina would say. So Katharina had met Jack in October 1990. I don't know exactly how old she is, but she was described as a schoolgirl. Ew. Under 18. They had a short sexual relationship where he may have roofied her one time and raped her. But... Katharina met a boy her own age at a New Year's Eve party and pulled away from Jack. Good call. And when contacted by investigators, she was 100% sure that she had not been with Jack on March 7th, 1991. They had been broken up for a while by that point. Okay. So she's like, mm, yeah, no, Jack. She was fairly certain that he was actually giving a reading in Graz that night. <gasps> Oh, yeah. So, anyway, helpful. Very, very helpful. While investigators were looking into his alibi, Jack decided it was time to move Bianca to a new country, and he got her a job in Switzerland, another barmaid job, and he moved her there on February 2nd, 1992. He didn't stay with her because he was doing research on an underworld story about the sex worker murders in the spring of 1991. Okay. He's a serious reporter. Mm-hmm. All right. On February 10th, 1992, the police submitted a report to the Vienna DA, which accused Jack of murdering seven women in three different cities. Vienna, Graz, and Bregenz. Which I didn't even get into, but they found an additional case that had matched all the others. Heidi Marie Hammerer went missing from Bergenz on December 5th, 1990, and her body was found strangled in the woods. All that. So this this one was in between. Wherever Bergenz is. Sorry, Bergenz. I forgot to look it up. I'm assuming Austria. <laughs> Bergenz. Uh, all right. Well... Yeah, it is. Bregenz, Austria. Perfect. The Vienna DA didn't think there was enough evidence to arrest Jack, but he did think it was compelling, and he assembled a special commission to further investigate Jack Unterweger. Good. On February 13th, 1992, the Graz district attorney petitioned the Graz criminal court to issue an arrest warrant for Jack Unterweger. Oh, so they're on it. Unlike Vienna, Graz said, fuck yeah. Get it, Graz. Get it, Graz. Maybe we should go to Graz. Yeah, let's do that. It might be pronounced Graz. Oh, that's fine. At this point, something got weird. So maybe either a leak in one of the police departments or a journalist jumped the gun. But on February 15th, the front page of the newspapers were plastered with the headline, quote, Murder Series, an arrest warrant for Jack Unterweger. They publicized it. Yeah, someone fucked up. The surveillance team had lost Jack the previous day. And after this newspaper appeared, Jack never came back to his apartment. I believe that. That makes sense. 
Even though Jack wasn't there, they could search his apartment. So they found a bunch of things that a convicted felon wasn't supposed to have. I guess they could have a passport. But what he could not have was three pairs of handcuffs, can of mace, a switchblade, and a pump-action 12-gauge shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. They also found an address book that included a list of the 40 women that he had slept with since he was paroled a year and a half ago, including notes on performance. A ratings book? Uh-huh. Just, and you didn't think you'd get any worse. Ugh. Jack, like me, also really liked to write down and keep track of his daily life. I partially do it because I feel like my memory has been shot by depression, but whatever. But the police would find his diaries and his calendars that were full of information. Okay. So these diaries and calendars covered two time periods. 1974 through April 1990. Jack would be released wow. May 1990. So he wrote a bunch in prison. And then he started another round of journals, September 3rd, 1991, to the present. Conspicuously missing was a diary slash calendar for that year and a half period after Jack was released. Yeah. And then there's this. In his diary on December 11th, 1974, Jack had written, quote, Murder of Margaret Schaefer. <laughs> well, now. All right. So, it's been a week. The police still have no idea where Jack is. Initial news reports were more on the law enforcement side, talking about there was this massive amount of circumstantial evidence that gave the police good reason to suspect him, and that he f- was fleeing arrest that makes him look bad. But... Jack, canonical Leo, didn't like the bad press and wanted his voice to be heard. So while still in hiding, he arranged to do a live radio interview on February 21st with ORF, the broadcasting organization that had a bit of a hard-on for Jack. Jesus. He also did an interview with Profile Magazine, which published a very sympathetic article on February 24th entitled The Grotesque Murder Witch Hunt, Mishaps, Malice and lust for character assassination in the hunt of the prison poet. The justice system, police, and press show what they are capable of. It's a very long title. It's too long. Um, <laughs> did they print retractions at all after they that fucking did not figured come out? Up. Like, if you haven't, you should. You yeah. fucking pieces of shit. It's been a while. Uh, well, the gist of these interviews and articles were that the police were incompetent. They had no solid evidence against Jack. They were getting stressed and embarrassed that they hadn't found the Vienna Woods killer yet, so they were using Jack as a convenient scapegoat, and that they had actually leaked the arrest warrant to the press to spook Jack so that he would flee arrest and thus look guilty. (laughs) Um, that seems like a lot of effort for lazy people, right? It's a lot for, like, an apartment... That doesn't really have that many murders. Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, Jack was on the move. He showed up in Switzerland on February 15th, spent a normal day with Bianca, until he broke into tears, as is his wont, and told her that his entire world had just collapsed, all because of this vindictive Salzburg cop. And now he's being framed for some prostitute murders, and there's no fucking way he'd go back to a cell. He'd kill himself first. And at this point, he pulled out a handgun to emphasize that point. Bianca didn't know that the gun didn't work, but eh, whatever. So Bianca, quote unquote, 
talked Jack out of killing himself and con- mm-hmm. convinced him to go on the run with her. So first they had to get out of Switzerland because Bianca's mother both knew that Bianca was in a relationship with Jack and that Bianca had a temporary job in Switzerland at the moment. Okay. Jack considered going to Spain as Spain didn't have an extradition treaty with Austria, but he ultimately decided that America was the best choice. They did not stay under the radar, but they weren't really prepared to either, but... So they traveled using their own passports and bought plane tickets using Jack's visa card. But the Austrian police would not discover that information in a timely manner. What the fuck are they doing? I think they're like still trying to figure out who the leak is. Like the commission was like infighting a bit at this point. Jack and Bianca flew out of Paris, Paris, and landed in Miami, Florida on February 16th. And Jack Unterweger has a short stint as Florida man. Oh my god. Uh, so Bianca, 18, psyched to go to Florida. Sounds super exotic. <laughs> but she had also never seen the ocean before, so, you know. Well, I mean, that's fair. That's and fair. Florida does have some beautiful beaches, but it is... It's Florida, though, like, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, it did turn out to be much more of a disappointment of a trip started with a night in a very dingy hotel they found a small apartment to rent the next morning realized that their cash stash was running low they basically only had the money that bianca had made in switzerland so instead of it being a vacation jack got bianca a job as a go-go dancer okay jack would obviously take all of her earnings and tips he would spend most of the day making long distance phone calls to lawyers and to the press bianca would work evenings They did find time to celebrate their three-month anniversary on February 20th with, quote, a super morning on the beach and lunch at Burger King. (laughs) One of the fucking worst chains. Jack in the box, at the very least. I was so hoping you were going to say Taco Bell. I was, I mean, that's the way to my heart, but, like, Burger King fucking sucks. Oh, my God. So bad. Uh, So romantic. (laughs) So exotic. Yeah, exotic. I mean, it's definitely different. (laughs) All right, so a few days later, they would just happen to walk by a newsstand that was selling European newspapers, and they saw the headline of one of the German papers that said, Bianca Mark, her life in danger, exclamation point. Can you imagine, though? You're like, hey, wait, that's my name. Well... She also realized that she hadn't talked to any of her friends and family for more than a week, and nobody knew that where she was or that she was doing fine. She was doing fine-ish. So she asked Jack if she could call her mom to just say that she was fine, safe, alive, don't worry. Jack tried to talk her out of it, telling her that the police would trace the call. Bianca wasn't so sure about that. If Jack was able to spend hours on the phone with his lawyer and his quote-unquote confidant, then she could make a quick call to her mom, which she did. Good. Good for her. She also started to wonder more about this quote-unquote confidant that Jack kept calling and suddenly made this connection. The confidant was actually that girl Elizabeth that Jack had met at the Advent party that he didn't take her to. Oh, burn. So she got it right. The truth hurts. It does. She didn't even know the whole truth that Jack was seeing Elizabeth on the side, not just calling her. 
And so the couple got into this drag-out knockdown fight, which included Bianca throwing her soda in Jack's face and ended with Jack giving her a couple of backhands. It took a couple of days, but Bianca would calm down and forgive him. To be fair, she is young. She's so young. When you're young and in love, right, like, everything's, like, dramatized, like... Oh, my God. I mean, I get it, but... She's on the run with this innocent man. It's so romantic. I get it, too. Yeah. I'm not blaming Bianca in any way here. Bianca was just, like... She was young and naive. Right for the picking. Yeah. Well, back in Vienna, Elizabeth herself had been contacted by the police because her information was in Jack's address book slash sex rating book. (laughs) I don't know what her rating was, but she did tell the police that she had met him at an Advent party last November, found him charming and funny. He had called her a few times since he had fled, but she had no idea where he was. Okay. And the police didn't really believe that last part, but they didn't push it. He's not going to be like, hello, calling from Florida. (laughs) Hey, bright and sunny Miami. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Miami. Yeah. Whether or not Elizabeth actually knew where Jack was, she was working hard on trying to get him some money. So she worked at a magazine called Success. And on February 26th, she called Jack with some great news. She had talked to her boss and he had agreed to pay Jack $10,000 for an exclusive on-the-run interview. Okay. Jack was overjoyed and gave her wiring instructions for the USA Money Exchange in Miami Beach. Unbeknownst to Elizabeth, her boss greatly disliked Jack (laughs) when he had met him that one time. He does not get on with men. And so her boss went to the police gave them the wiring instruction and told them that Elizabeth would be wiring the advance tomorrow and that Jack would be there to pick it up. Good job, buddy. Oh, yeah. This plan went off perfectly. Excellent. Jack was in custody, currently in Florida under a provisional U.S. warrant that was issued to support the Austrian warrant. Bianca was arrested for a quick second, but she wasn't really a part of any of the murders and was in the state on a valid visa. So the police just kind of drove her back to the apartment and dropped her off, which left Bianca in a bit of a perplexed state. What should she do without Jack? Go home. Well, the answer fucking anything she wants. She was the only one making money in that relationship. That's true. Yeah. It took her a while to get there, though. But she did call her mom and drop the bomb that she was in Miami, Florida, and needed a plane ticket home. (laughs) And so Bianca (laughs) flew back to Austria and moved back into the apartment that she had shared with Jack in Vienna. Can you imagine, like, the taste of that crow, right? Oh, my God. Uh, it's your, oh, God. Hi, Mom. Yeah, I fucked up. And I'm in Miami. And turns out he probably is a serial killer. She didn't think that at all. Oh, okay. But Fair she enough, did though. think I should probably go back to Austria. Okay. But still, uh, it's like the call still, of shame it's still to your mom. Such a t- oh my god! And be like, so can I come back? And then she's like, guts to Austria, and she's like, fuck you, mom. I'm gonna go live in this apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ernst Geiger, the head of the special commission, gently questioned Bianca for the next three weeks. It was obvious that Bianca was completely infatuated with Jack. Mm-hmm. So. 
Geiger decided to approach these interrogations as more as an introduction. He wanted to show Bianca that he was a good, decent man, just doing his job. Hopefully, Bianca would loosen up a bit. Okay. He also correctly ID'd that the weak spot in Jack and Bianca's relationship was Jack's other relationship. <laughs> as as it usually is. Uh, with his yeah. confidant, Elizabeth. The woman he had met at the Advent party. What the fuck is an Advent party? Anyway. During one of these interrogations, Bianca was told that Elizabeth had made a statement saying that she'd had a sexual relationship with Jack from December 1991 to mid-February 1992 when Jack went on the run. Okay. This shook Bianca a bit, but she held fast to her conviction that Jack was innocent of everything. It's like their Christmas time. Okay. I think it's in November. Well, it's the weeks leading up to Christmas. Oh, like an advent calendar. Yeah, so it's also known as the most peaceful time of year. And so they bake biscuits, they put up Christmas decorations, they sing carols, and a lot of the other fun family traditions. That does sound nice. I like a biscuit. Yeah, me too. Anywho. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I <laughs> The seven-day Adventist uh, don't have an advent party. <laughs> they should. So this is probably where Advent calendars come from, then. It's what it almost sounds like. Yeah. It kind of feels like more of a European thing anyway. But now I'm just talking out of my ass. Hi, <laughs> Europe. I did get my daughter a... Because, like, you get those, like, shitty chocolate Advent calendars, mm-hmm. and they're, like, it's icky. Yeah, it's it's cheap and just, like, bleh. Or this last year, I got my daughter a Lego Advent oh. calendar. So every day you get this little, like, a couple pieces of this Lego scene. And then when you get to Christmas, it's like this whole Lego town. Okay, that's cool. It was super cool. Lego is, like, respectable. I think I enjoyed it just as much. Like, what piece did you get? Like, and then, like, when we got the cat, it was, like, Jubilee in our house. There's a cat. Yes, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Finally, got the cat. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Got the two cats sleeping next to me because they love me so much. Babies. Or something. All right. Well, back to this story. Bianca commissioned a report that, even though I love astrology, would definitely not hold up in court. Okay. So she asked an astrologer to make a horoscope of Jack's birth date, August 16th, 1950, Leo. Okay. Even though the astrologer didn't the astrologer didn't know anything about Jack Unterweger, he produced a rather damning report. Quote, Sticks with the old and tired patterns of behavior. Is given to ritualistic acts. End quote. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Kind of nailed it, sir, ma'am. Yeah. Whoever. Bianca was also the darling of the media of the moment. So she was getting paid for interviews. She was in the sp- Spotlight. She's a very important person all of a sudden. And probably all this media attention also was keeping her connection to Jack pretty strong, too. So she wasn't breaking on her conviction with Jack for a while. Okay. Meanwhile, Jack was in prison in the United States and the Austrians were on a deadline. So the special commission had 90 days to make their case for extradition. If they failed, Jack would be released into the United States and would probably definitely never take a trip back to Austria. 
Austrian officials would admit that they only had circumstantial evidence at this point. They were searching hard for physical evidence, but again, they only had 90 days. They were doing a search to find all the cars that Jack had used since he had been released, and were going to search the interiors, collect fibers, hairs, body fluids, whatever. They were also analyzing the clothing that he had left in his apartment to see if any of them were a possible match for a fiber that had been found on Heidi Marie Hammer. Okay. Jack was also on the road a lot during his year of freedom. He did produce two plays and did a bunch of readings. So investigators were also putting together a pretty convincing paper trail using receipts that would place Jack in the location of each murder at the time of that murder. One time could be considered coincidence, but a a pattern was starting to emerge. Like a crocheted fucking blanket, sir. Yeah, so uh, even though you can't prove a negative, the investigators did not find anything that would definitively place Jack somewhere else during the commission of any of these murders either. Okay. His lawyers were advising him that the case against him was fairly weak at the moment and that there was a good chance that he would be released at the end of the 90 days. Jack had other ideas, of course, and told the media that he wanted to return to Vienna voluntarily ASAP. His lawyer would explain the sudden change of mind as, quote, Jack is sitting in the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Miami. That is a maximum security prison. He has been brought into a death cell. Exactly. And Florida believes in the death penalty, Uh, motherfuckers. Exactly. I don't have to say this. Vis-a-vis? Vis-a-vis? Vis-a-vis. Exactly. Vis-a-vis his cell is the room for carrying out the death penalty, and he can see the electric chair. Yeah, yeah. Although he is, at the moment, psychologically strong, the situation is very stressful. Well, sure, he was in jail. No vacation. But it probably wasn't as stressful as Jack was making it out to be. To be fair, though, I will say that it sounds like his jail time in Austria was a lot different than it would be in a U.S. maximum security prison I'm not even sure if it's a maximum security prison. It's a federal prison. I think all of the Fed ones are maximum. Well, then maybe. But, like, generally, people want to get into the Fed, Club Fed, before they want to go to a state prison. What if it's, like, a super max one? Did it say which prison it was at? Uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center in Miami. And I personally can't see any reason why he would put it into a death cell at this point in his case. So I don't think that was true. And the warden was also very clear that there was not an electric chair facing Jack's cell. And I don't even know if there is a cell that faces an electric chair. That seems a little weird. But you are correct. What Jack was afraid of was not the Florida death penalty, the California State Gas Chamber. And at that time, they were still gassing people. Mm-hmm. And so the Los Angeles cops had heard of his detainment and were also working to find physical evidence to tie Jack to the three murders in L.A. And then that way, if Austria failed to meet the standard of proof, Jack would be released, only to be rearrested by the California police. Yes. So the L.A. cops were basically following the same kind of leads as the Austrian cops. They were searching for cars he had used and putting together a paper trail, which included the time he needed his car repaired the day after Shannon Exley's murder, as well as all the times he had checked out of one hotel and into another one. They had also found hair fibers stuck to the bumper of the 
tractor trailer under which Irene Rodriguez's body had been dragged, and so they were able to get a warrant to collect blood and hair samples from Jack before he went back to Austria. Okay. And the LA police had rape kits from Irene Rodriguez and Shannon Exley, to which they could compare his blood to. So two LA detectives would fly to Miami to collect the sample and conduct an interrogation while they were there. One of the questions asked was, what the fuck was that outfit you wore when you landed in LAX? That is the truth. Oh my god, I love that. And then, like, Jack was like, oh, it was like a cowboy outfit. And one of the detectives was like, I'm from Texas. That's not a cowboy outfit. And then Jack was just like, oh my god, have you seen horses before? <laughs> oh my god, I love horses. Uh, oh, he's a horse girl. Let's see here. So members of the Austrian Special Committee also went to Los Angeles where they compared their crimes and concluded that all of these crimes were most likely committed by the same man. The Los Angeles men were confident they had the evidence that would send Jack back to prison for life and maybe even to the gas chamber. The Austrians were not super pleased by this thought, though. The Austrian elites consider us Americans to be barbarians. Fair. With the death penalty and whatnot, and there would be an uproar back in Austria if an Austrian citizen died in an American death chamber, especially because there were Austrian victims involved in this case as well. Yes. I mean, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And we are looked at because they believe in rehabilitation. (laughs) Too much. Clearly. And they just have a different view of the world, but they also don't have as much crime, as much crime or as many serial murderers as we do. So they definitely throw perspective, perspective. I understand. I do. Yeah. And part of me understands is the bloodthirsty part that was like, he's our citizen. He killed our people. Let's fuck him. Yep. But they don't have the fucking clause in Austria, so. No, they're like, let's keep him for 15 years and let him do radio programs. And then maybe he can leave again. Well, the Austrians needn't have worried. It was 1992, and so the DNA results were not ready before the 90-day holding period ended. So, the Los Angeles DA did not want to go to trial without DNA, so on May 28, 1992, Jack was sent back to Austria. Okay. Jack was met by the magistrate, Wolfgang Vladkowski, also known as Vlad the Impaler. (gasps) We talked about Vlad! But he's like, he hates criminals, but he likes sex. He wants to support sex workers. Seems like a good guy. Well, anyway, Vladkowski told Jack, this should be easy. All you need is one confirmable alibi. The current theory here is that one man killed seven women in Austria and three women in Los Angeles. If he had an alibi for any one of those nights, the entire case would be extremely weakened. Okay. All right. So Jack reached out to his circle of friends all women, member, uh, to try and get a solid alibi from one of them for any of the 10 nights in question. One of his paramours was a Mrs. Mueller. Oh, yes. Mrs. Married. Jack wrote to her and begged her to tell the police that he had spent the night in her sauna. (laughs) Well, apparently he used to hide out in the sauna when her husband came home. (laughs) Oh, okay. So there's a backstory. There is a backstory to the sauna. That's so random. I know. But uh, Mrs. Mueller wrote back saying that she couldn't lie to the police. So Jack called her and threatened her saying, if it goes badly for me, 
It will go badly for everyone. Mrs. Mueller assumed that this meant that he would tell her husband about their relationship. So Mrs. Mueller beat him to the punch. She told Mr. Mueller about the whole situation and the couple went to the police together. Okay. Mr. Mueller had not known that Jack had been sleeping with his wife, but as a man, he was already not a fan of Jack, especially since Jack had stolen a pistol from his study that had been a gift from his father. Oh. And uh, Mr. Mueller knew that he stole the pistol because it popped up at a magazine photo shoot that Jack did. The audacity to have your stolen goods photographed with you for publication. And one of these photo shoots happened after he was already accused of a bunch of these things. And so his idea was to call it once a murderer, always a murderer as the theme of the photo shoot. And when he got out of prison, his idea was to pose with a noose he had made. Who is taking these photographs and using them? Why? <laughs> Just why are you giving him so... Uh, you are like feeding into that, so that much. pride. Oh my God, I can't even. I guess it's a small country. This is big news, but they fed him everything. They fed the fire of his ego. Oh, so much. All right. So, Jack continued to talk around the critical hours uh, instead of being able to say what he was doing at that time, which really just draws more attention to the holes in his story than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of his alibis that he had thus offered had been confirmed. Further, investigators had come across another case, oh, a shit. cold case from Prague, which could be linked to the other 10 murders. Oh my god. And so on Saturday, September 14th, 1990, Blanca Bakova's body was found near the Latava River with the same presentation and cause of death as the other bodies. Okay. All right. On June 29th, 1992, Jack made an extremely half-hearted suicide attempt. This had worked for him before. In 1974, he made mm -hmm. another suicide attempt, was transferred to a psychiatric clinic, and was released and then would go on to murder Margaret Schaefer. Yeah. He did not get transferred to a psychiatric hospital this time, but he did get a lifelong supporter, which is almost as good. So Astrid Wagner, Wagner, Astrid Wagner, was 29 years old, attractive, friendly. She had completed her law degree in 1990, had interned with a judge. Everyone agreed that Astrid had a promising career ahead of her. Okay. So she wasn't, you know, a child. She was an educated woman. Yeah. And she still fell into this, like, Jack's trap. So Astrid had read Purgatory when it came out and she was following Jack's story in newspaper reports and so when she read about his suicide attempt she was touched I guess in the head maybe but she wrote Jack a letter okay thanking God that he had survived oh Jesus Jack was a little skeptical of this letter at first and thought maybe uh, Vlad the Impaler was trying to plant this woman into his life to get information from him oh paranoid okay Oh, super paranoid. But a few days later, he decided to just go with it, and he wrote her back. So they started a regular correspondence, and Astrid came to visit Jack for the first time on August 14th, 1992. Once again, his slight appearance was deceiving. So Astrid looked at him for the first time and thought he was a small and pitiable-looking man. But Astrid wasn't disgusted by how pitiable he looked, which is Capricorn energy. <laughs> she wanted to help him. 
and thought that he was full of courage and strength in the face of this terrible situation. Taurus energy. Yes, this does apply because Astrid was a Taurus and wore a necklace with a Taurus figurine on it the day she first met Jack. Jack correctly identified it and commented, Taurus women are self-righteous, which they can be. Fair. I just love that astrology keeps popping up in this. It's definitely in there. It's bonkers. But Astrid would go on to write three books about Jack's innocence and also began making passionate statements to the press. Uh, It was turning into quite the love triangle and Bianca, rightfully, saw Astrid as a rival. Jack was trying to have his cake and eat it too, so he wrote a letter to Bianca telling her that he needed to maintain Astra's friendship because she was a powerful ally in the Graz legal system, and he wrote a separate letter to Astrid telling her that he needed to maintain Bianca's friendship because he needed Bianca's favorable testimony. Lutkowski, the magistrate, saw both letters before they were sent, laughed, (laughs) and then accidentally put the letter to Bianca in the envelope addressed to Astrid and vice versa. I love petty shit like that. I do too. It's the only high they had at the moment, though. The investigators were starting to hit walls at this point. Sure. So the American DNA test was inconclusive. Oh, DNA from semen from Shannon Exler's rape kit contained the same genetic marker as the DNA isolated from Jack's blood. However, this is early DNA forensic science. They only looked for one marker, and this particular marker was usually used to exclude a suspect because it's found in about 10% of the population. Okay. The hair evidence wasn't looking very promising either. So the hairs from the tractor trailer of the Irene Rodriguez crime scene in Los Angeles did not match Jack's hair. The special commission had found four dark hairs in one of Jack's cars that were morphologically identical to the hairs of Sabine Moitzi, who was the first Vienna victim. But the hairs didn't have good roots, and so DNA could not be extracted using the technology of the time. Okay. So they had a lot of circumstantial evidence, but no smoking gun. Yeah. To help bolster their case, the Austrian Special Commission reached out to the FBI Behavioral Science Unit. Yay! (sighs) All right. Special Agent Greg McCrary was given evidence, information about all 11 murders, and examined them to see if he could identify patterns that would suggest that all 11 murders were linked. Okay. He did. And the best indicator the same person is responsible for multiple murders is looking for things that the killer didn't have to do, yet still did in every murder. Yeah. So whoever... Yes. Yeah. Whoever killed these 11 murders did not have to, one, drive them so far out of town. Yes. Two, use an article of their own clothing to strangle them. Yes. He could have used his own tool. Mm-hmm. And he did have a knife. Three, leave their jewelry on their bodies. Yes. He took all their other personal effects, but he left their jewelry. Four, take their IDs. Mm-hmm. He always left the cash. Five, partially cover their bodies, though not enough to hinder their discovery. Yeah. And six, place the bodies near trees or water. Okay. In December 1992, the Austrian Special Commission caught a break. The Graz High Court ruled that Jack's pretrial detention period would be extended 12 months, so the Austrian investigators had another year to search for evidence. Okay. The Supreme Court held up the Graz High Court's decision, so Jack wasn't going anywhere. 
Good. Bianca was going to have to move, though. So, upon hearing that Jack was going to be in jail for another year, his landlord wanted a new tenant and Bianca had to find a new place. Was she not paying rent in her own right? She might have been paying rent. She was making money for a while from the press, which I don't think she was the tenant on the lease. Oh, okay. So, she was looking for somewhere else to live. There wasn't any kind of housing shortage in Vienna, but there was always a prospective tenant in line in front of her for any place she wanted to go. She finally figured out what was going on, and her broker confirmed it. Quote, They won't rent to me because they're afraid my boyfriend will get off and move in with me. Fair. She was correct. She did finally find a place and started packing up Jack's apartment. And Jack's friend... Margaret came over to help, who also was Bianca's friend at this point, but okay. they only met through association. They wouldn't have been friends in real life. Sure. So Margaret, Margit, Margit, anyone know? Not me. Nope. All right. Well, she started cleaning out Jack's file cabinets while Bianca went to work boxing all the books that he owned, which, looking behind me, it's a, it's a job. Yes. And a thousand books means you have a library. I will do the math soon. I might be close, to be honest. Okay. Which is bad because I'm not done moving, but... (laughs) Margit, who's a girl after my own heart, couldn't help glancing through the contents and looking for interesting things as she was going through the file cabinet. The first thing she found was a letter from Barbara Schultz. So Barbara had been Jack's girlfriend at the time Margaret Schaefer was murdered in 1974. Okay. They had broken contact since then, but after Jack's release, he had surprised Barbara by showing up at her house in 1990. Jack had told Margit that Barbara had been surprised to see him, but they ended up having a very nice time together. This letter that Barbara had written after their 1990 reunion seemed to tell a different story. All right, so Barbara's letter said, quote, I let you stay over because I thought it might help me to understand what, in my youth, I saw in you. You, who sent my life in a direction in which it should have never gone. You haven't changed. You will do something criminal again. Barbara, P.S. Please return the radio you stole from my apartment. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> yeah, you little fuck face. <laughs> so Margaret then found the police and court files from 1975 and 76 mm-hmm. and so margit knew that jack had been to prison i'm going to go with margit because the murder victim is margaret okay uh so margit knew that jack had been to prison they'd never really gone into detail about why he had gone to prison okay it was a youthful mistake Margit decided that this was her opportunity to learn what had really happened yeah. and took all the files home with her to read through that night And Margit then came across Barbara's name again. Barbara had given an extremely detailed and horrific account of what had happened on the night of December 11th, 1974. So Barbara was from Germany, but a few months prior to Margaret's murder, Barbara had run off to Switzerland with a German boy who was dodging the draft. Okay. Their relationship would not last. They would break up in Zurich, and Barbara would then meet Jack. On December 11th, Jack and Barbara drove from Frankfurt to Eursbach to get some money and some other things from Barbara's parents' house. Upon arrival, they found the house locked and her parents asleep inside. Jack suggested that they rob someone instead. At just that moment, Barbara spotted her neighbor, 
Margaret walking home. Oh. Since Barbara and Margaret were old friends, Barbara was using the bait to get Margaret into the car. Oh, no. Barbara was under the impression that they were just going to rob her. So they had started lightly chatting, and then suddenly Jack grabbed Margaret by the front of her shirt and dragged her into the front seat. Jack then used the belt from Barbara's coat to tie Margaret's hands behind her back and then stuffed her down into the footwell. Jack found 30 marks, which is $12, in her purse, and then she also admitted that she had 100 marks, $40, on her dresser at home. So they drove to Margaret's house and Barbara snuck in and stole the money. Oh my god. Barbara got back in the car and Jack drove off after telling Barbara, it's time to make your friend disappear. Oh my god. They ended up driving for an hour and ended up in a wooded area. They stopped. Jack made Margaret completely undress and then pulled her into the woods. Barbara stayed in the car. Oh my god. About 50 minutes later, Jack was back and had her a still rod covered with blood and hair. Oh my god. Three weeks later, hunters would find the naked corpse of Margaret Schaefer at the foot of a larch tree, lightly sprinkled with leaves and soil, a bra tightly knotted around her neck. Her jewelry was left on her body, but the rest of her clothing was missing. Her autopsy revealed she'd been repeatedly stuck on the head, neck, and upper body with a blunt instrument, manually strangled, and then finally strangled with her own bra. Oh my god. sound familiar. Yeah. Well, Jack's trial opened April 20th, 1994, which is also Hitler's birthday. Another countryman that us Austrians might like to forget. 420. Uh, I didn't realize he was born on 420. What a a fucking nerd. (laughs) All right. The prosecutors in this case were Martin Wenzel and Carl Gasser. Jack's defense counsel was George Zanger who was a well-known as an expert at controlling the press. And about eight weeks before the trial started, Jack decided that maybe he should have more than just like a social media lawyer. So he hired Hans Lehofer, who was one of the best defense attorneys in Graz, but was playing with an extreme handicap because he did not have very much time to prepare for this case at all. Yeah. So the trial began with the opening statements. Martin Wenzel stated, quote, That is one of Unterweger's facets, a winning, friendly presentation, not at all a caricature from a horror film. He was a darling and a benefactor. Women chased him in flocks. He fooled a justice ministry section head, media people, a court president, and artists. He had an unbelievable effect on women, but also unbridled aggression against women. Yeah. Carl Gasser, the second prosecutor, continued on the topic of Jack's aggression, pointing out that even before Jack had murdered an 18-year-old girl in 1974, he had already raped a girl with a steel rod. Oh my god. In his pimp face. Uh-huh. And committed 15 other offenses. Sexual offenses or like robberies? Just offenses and he did a bunch of robberies too. Because he's a thief. He is a thief. Yeah, so just criminal offenses. Yeah. Not all sexual. Okay. But um, Carl would end by saying, I can think of nothing good to say about him. His parole four years ago was a curse for his victims. Got it, Carl? Agree. All right. The next day, George Zangler, his defense attorney, made his opening statement. 
Austrian courts must be kind of like a fucking hoot at times because everyone involved seems to have a lot more ability to interact with each other than in an American trial. Okay. So the judge can like directly question the defendant, the jury can question the witnesses, like the defendant can talk to the jury, there's this whole thing. Okay. As Zanger went into a lengthy digression about the media's power and greed for sensation, Mm -hmm. Judge Kurt Haas reached for his letter opener and a stack of mail and started reading. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, He's like, I'm bored. I might as well get something accomplished. (laughs) I know. I love it. In Austria, the accused is also allowed to address the jury and to question witnesses for the prosecution. Jesus. And so a jury in Austria works like this. There are 12 people who attend the whole trial, but only eight will decide on the verdict. Okay. The other four are substitute substitute jurors in case any of the main jury members had an illness or an emergency. That's fair. Uh-huh. And a simple majority was sufficient for a conviction. So five out of eight. Preponderance, right? 51%. Yes. Okay. So Jack's jury was made up of eight men and four women. And men don't like you. Nope. And he didn't know who were the main jury and who were the alternates at this point. Ooh, tricky. Mm-hmm. So he paid most of his attention to the four women. Sure. As he had always done. He probably should have spent a bit more time trying to win over the men, mm-hmm. but he didn't know that two of the three women who were substitute jurors had already made up their minds that he was innocent. Of course they did. So Jack's strategy was to convince the jurors that he was human, he's not a monster, using his charm, his humor, his wits, his very engaging style of conversation. There were a couple missteps, such as... When he proclaimed that he had only had five sex partners under the age of 20 during his year and a half of freedom. And he also tried to imply that he was getting laid so much that he had no reason to murder sex workers. But overall, Jack was a very good speaker Mm -hmm. with a convincing delivery and style. And honestly, the jury hears so much information. A lot. It's easier to remember style than it is facts, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, up to this point, Jack had not provided any real evidence to support any of his alibis, but now his approach changed, and he said he would reveal them to the court the following day the public were removed from the courtroom. When asked why he had chosen to sit in jail for two years instead of naming these witnesses, Jack responded, quote, I have always said that I would present everything at the moment someone explained to me why I am accused of murdering these women. For only then would I be able to refute your grounds for suspicion. If I had named my alibis during the investigation, the police would have gone straight to them with horrifying crime scene photos and shocked them. I wanted to spare them that, and so I decided to keep them to myself until the trial. Yeah, yeah. They are my jokers, and I will play them only at the right time. Fuck the fuck off. What a gentleman. I hate him. His four jokers were Carolina from Los Angeles, whom he claimed to have had a long phone conversation with on the night of July 3rd, 1991, when Sherry Long disappeared in Hollywood. 
A woman named Karen, he claimed to have had a long uh, phone conversation with on the night of April 8th, 1991, when Sylvia Zagler disappeared. Mm -hmm. A woman named Sylvia, different Sylvia, with whom he claimed to have spent the night of April 16th, 1991, when Sabine Moitzi disappeared in Vienna. And his mother, who lived in Munich, where Jack claimed to have been visiting on May 7th, 1991, the night Karen Ruglu disappeared in Vienna. So two of the four alibis are for cases that are not being presented to the court because they're in... No, all 11 cases were on the docket for this. Oh! I don't know how this works. Like, was there a U.S. representative there? No, I think... No, no. They were... Some members of the, like, L.A. homicide team did come to testify, but... That's interesting. It sounded like... All 11 murders were on the docket, even the ones he committed in Prague and the U.S. Well, I guess they can just do what they want. They can. They they had a bunch of murders in Austria, too. So you get them for those, you're good. The bulk of them were in Austria. Yes. All right. So Jack's last-minute alibis were subpoenaed and scheduled to give testimony. It was all a waste of time. So <laughs> they couldn't find Carolina. She's like, fuck you. Uh, she was in Central America visiting her family. I had no idea anyone was looking for her. <laughs> Karen was a 39-year-old graphic designer who had told the police that she'd possibly had a phone conversation with Jack on the evening in April. But now, in court, she was 100% sure that she had had that conversation. And she also knew how long they had talked, which was far past when Sylvia disappeared. Okay. But it looked pretty bad when Prosecutor Gasser brought up a letter that she had written to Jack in prison, basically asking, what do you need? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. The ORF, for some reason, still, ha- still had a hard-on for Jack, and they reported that Karen's testimony was, quote, the first successful Unterweger alibi. I don't see it. I don't either. Uh, Sylvia had about the same story as Karen and wasn't able to confirm the alibi. And the best his mother could say was, quote, My son often visited me, but I don't remember any concrete dates. Around Mother's Day in 1991, he gave me his dog as a gift, but I can't remember exactly when. She also wanted to make clear that, quote, I was never a whore, and I don't have a sister. I don't know why Hansi wrote that. (laughs) Alrighty then. Yeah. Bianca did testify at Jack's trial, but she was no longer in love with him in any way whatsoever, so Jack didn't get the positive testimony that he had been depending on from Bianca. Mm-hmm. And Special Agent McCrary was a hit. Ha! I bet. And the Science of the Lambs had come out in 1991 and had brought the FBI into the spotlight. And so, like, they were so excited to see him. Oh, I bet. Jack, Leo, did make sure to tell McCrary, though, during a break in the proceedings, that he was incorrect about the murder in 1974. That murder wasn't a sexual homicide. How would you know unless you were the murderer, Jack? And what were the other ones then? They were sexual homicides? Evidently. Oh, this is my favorite. So social media attorney Zanger did make a rookie mistake by asking McCrary if he had ever heard of a man who had frequent consensual sex murdering a prostitute. And McCrary answered... Yes, actually I have. Let me tell you the story of Arthur Sharcross. 
who had also been released from prison on parole way too early and went on a killing spree. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And this is textbook for why a defense attorney shouldn't ask questions that they don't know the answers to. Oh, my God, yes. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of women attended the trial, most of them there to support Jack. Prison pen pals. I know. Astrid, of course, was there every day and had also secretly accepted Jack's marriage proposal. (laughs) So he might still be engaged to Bianca at this point, but... Okay. There were a few female journalists who were just flabbergasted that so many women had come out to support this man. Just be the trash. Right? Yeah. Towards the end of the trial, Marga Svoboda would write an editorial titled The Serpent and the Bunny, and it was about how the educated young lawyer Astrid Wagner had lost herself in thrall of Jack, and she needed to snap out of it or she was going to get hurt, basically. Yeah. Not as a threat, just as like a, this isn't good, girl. Yeah. Well, Jack was back to keeping a diary at this point, no. and in response to that article, he wrote, Dyson Svoboda Peringer, three female journalists that didn't support him. Have you looked at your mugs in the mirror? Does it lift your wrinkles to slime me? No more orgasms for you. Sad. No hatred. Just feel sorry for you. Sounds a lot like Trump, to be honest. He's just so full of himself that he just doesn't He's even... so full of himself. Like, I mean, there's just no comparison just like there. Just like insane degree. Like, he is so fucking cocksure. Like, I'm just like, I'm it. I'm the shit. I'm the shit. All right, so Prosecutor Gasser would make his closing statement saying, quote, conspicuously, he was always in the area at the time each murder was committed in the same way. Sus. Sus. <laughs> especially because once in Prague, twice in Graz, once in Brigens, four times in Vienna, three times in Los Angeles. Yeah. No reasonable person will attribute that to mere coincidence. Nope. Then he reviewed the indications of Jack's guilt. So there were the highly unusual and matching ligatures on the victims in L.A. and Vienna. There were unique red fibers found on the victim in Brigens that also matched Jack's scarf. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hair of the Prague victim was found on the seat of Jack's car, although it wasn't really yeah. identified. But... He was also unable to produce a single alibi, and there were multiple instances where he was trying to obtain false alibis. Oh, yes. Uh, For the defense, Sanker insisted that there's not a single indication, not a single piece of evidence against Jack. The totality of the circumstantial evidence is something. It's a lot. Yeah. Hans Lehofer wasn't quite that strident. But he made sure to emphasize reasonable doubt. And also that DNA analysis was a very new science that hadn't been fully validated. I'm not actually sure if it had at that point, to be honest. Like, I don't... It's so early. Early 90s, it was still, like, new. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, those are that's what a defense attorney is supposed to do, right? They're oh, supposed yeah. to bring up this shit. And he might actually be correct on this one, so... Yeah. Lastly, as was his right... Jack addressed the jury. Yeah, fuck. Yep. Quote, I am counting on a verdict of not guilty because I'm not the killer. Your decision doesn't only affect me, but also the murderer out there who is laughing up his sleeve. 
I will not fall into a hole if you find me innocent. I have an apartment and a job. There are so many people who stand behind me, who know me from my two years of freedom. <laughs> my two years? Oh, my two years. I've had a whole lifetime of freedom. <laughs> For that, I am humbled, but also proud that they have not made a mistake in believing in me, basically. Oh, I thought he meant the killer. <laughs> no. These are all his people that believe in him. And yeah. he's like, they didn't make a mistake. I'm innocent still. Okay. Got so it. Got he it. was the last person that the jury got to hear from before they began deliberations. But men hate him. So men are like, men do hate him. off, fucker. But he just needed to convince enough of the jury that he's a normal guy. Five. Innocent. Eight. Or at least... If not innocent, there was so much reasonable doubt that they needed to acquit him. Sure. And this whole thing was like, look how normal I am. You don't want to send me to prison, do you? I'm just like you. So eight men, five women. So even if you plug the four women in, it's not good. It's not good. great. Yeah. Well, the jury would deliberate for several hours, which would give the prosecution like an ulcer in the process. But they would come back to the courtroom on the evening of June 28th, 1993, same day that they started deliberations, so not, like, crazy long. Okay, so they had time for lunch. Yeah. They got dinner before they came back, whatever. Okay. So the jury found Jack Unterweger guilty of murder. Yes. At a ratio of six to two of nine of the 11 women. Okay. So, Alfredo Schremp in Graz and Regina Prem in Vienna were too decomposed to give a definite cause of death, so five jurors voted to give him a pass in both of those cases. In Graz. Okay. Yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison. Again. Uh, Fifteen years. This one had to be, like, a real one, though. After all of this, they would never let him on parole. I would hope not. Well, it doesn't really matter, because the next day, Austrians would wake up to the news that Jack had committed suicide. Of course he did, because he's such a fuck. Jack had used a very elaborate ligature to kill his victim, so it is only fitting that he also created a very ingenious noose for himself out of a piece of thin metal wire and the drawstring of his sweatpants. Did it have similar knots? I'm not sure. That would be very fitting if it was like the signature knot. It is a very different kind of material, a metal wire and sure. a string of his sweatpants. But Michael Groff, the newly elected Conservative Party Justice Minister spokesman, would describe Jack's suicide as his best murder, which I fucking love, but he got pretty railed for that comment, so. I don't think he should have. I believe that he is correct. Michael Groff, I, you are correct. Astrid had been completely devastated. Of course. Her world had fallen apart twice in about 10 hours. So first, the jury came back with a guilty verdict and the life in prison sentence. Mm -hmm. And then Jack died only a few hours later. Yeah. And so Astrid could be considered Jack's last victim. I'm not 100% sure what happened to Astrid as there's not much about her post-Jack on the internet okay most of it's in austrian but i think she did eventually realize what kind of man jack was and it seems like she was a lawyer she had a career yeah that's that it ended very quickly it ended the right way (laughs) i mean it happily i don't know a ton of like 
sources for this because most of them are in Austrian, so... And the Wikipedia page is short as fuck. I was just looking at that. It's super short. It's super short, so this came from the book. This would have been my jam of a book, I think. It was good because most true crime books are basically... Like, the Marcus Wesson book was fine, but... I probably could have gotten all of that off the internet. It wasn't too deep. It was just kind of like, that was a quick read, like maybe two hours. This was a much bigger book. Mm-hmm. And both this and the Edgar Allan Cook book, I could not have gotten all this information just from the internet. No. Especially here because of the Austrian part, but even Australia was hard. This is phenomenal. No, so this is, this is good. Even though the author doesn't know what a bra is, this is good. <laughs> Well, there's that. Like, that's super disappointing, but that's such a man thing. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, how's your cord around your chest doing, listeners? <laughs> how's your cord with your straps? Suspenders. Suspenders, that's right. Suspenders. <laughs> Mine's fine, thank you. But yes, listeners. I'm not wearing one right now. <laughs> this was phenomenal, Hannah. Every time you read and you're a brilliant mind and you put these scripts together, like, I am always so super impressed. This was excellent. (sighs) Excellent. Good. I'm glad because this one was a struggle. I get that writing scripts true that you're like, I don't know if this is even going to be entertaining. Oh, I know. I cut so much out. There was too much in that book. Let's be real. But I don't mind that because I'm using it for research so I can take and pick what I need. Sure. If you're reading it for fun, you might be kind of annoyed. But like, yeah, I cut a lot out too. So I have never heard of this guy before. But mentally in my brain, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen some crime show that's like based off him. But I can't like wrap my head around it because I watch so many crime shows. I know. They just all like blend together. But like. I didn't know anything about him either, but I saw he was a Leo, and then I saw that he went to interview the fucking chief of police about the murders that he had actually done, and I was like, oh, I fucking have to do this for Leo season. Right. And so that's another thing for our listeners, is we're picking topics to do for these episodes. It's usually a very small trigger that sparks my interest. (laughs) Yeah, same. A very minute thing. So in last week's episode... It was the fact that Betty had remarried the husband that she shot. Mm-hmm. Like, they got remarried. It was only That's for a, big one. a month, but I was like, I, I need Still, to do this. Girl. Like, I Still, need- dude. That was the factor. So, but no, phenomenal. Fucking hate this guy. This guy's the worst. He is dead. Yeah, I'm not sad about his, that. His his best murder, I agree. Michael Groff, I'd vote for you. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if I support the conservative party, but <laughs> I don't know what it's like in Austria. It could be different. Like, I it mean, it could be different perspectives. We talked about that. Yep. Yeah. So I do have a little bit, a lot of bit of astrology okay. for this upcoming week. So this episode. Is going to air on Monday, August 22nd, because we are killing it. And on Monday, we get a trine. And so Mercury in Virgo is going to be trying with Pluto and Capricorn. And we always love that very structured Capricorn energy. energy. This is going to be a great day for brainstorming. And so... Our minds are going to be fresh Mm -hmm. with ideas and solutions, and we will also be able to communicate that. So 
it's going to be a very productive day, I believe. And then Wednesday on August 24th, Uranus goes retrograde in Taurus. So Uranus is known as the awakener planet. Its aspects and transits bring kind of changes and shocks almost, if you will. So it kind of like, it's like, ah, yeah. I don't know how else to explain that because I'm four deep right now. <laughs> Uranus is actually going to be in retrograde in Taurus for five months. What this gives us because of the Taurus energy is a lot of opportunity to face our fears and kind of purge shit out of our lives that doesn't work for us. So this is five months of this. We're going to be more enlightened and we are going to be fucking cleaning house. So it's not a bad thing. There are way worse planets to go into retrograde on. Yes. I'm sorry. Way worse signs and planets to go into retrograde. Mercury in Gemini. (laughs) (laughs) Which happens, guys. But this one Every year. It's my fault. (laughs) It's always around my birthday, too. But that's fine. Thursday, August 25th, Mercury, our communication planet, enters Libra, which eh, our communication skills are going to become more charming and friendly. But less direct. You won't talk about anything you actually mean. Correct. Okay, Libras, if there are Libras listening, send me an email. I'm sorry I hate you. Sure that there are very evolved Libras out there that are really fantastic but in a lot of cases this i mean it's it's true and i mean i like even for gemini there's there's a shit ton of stuff yeah because like almost every serial killer is born on my birthday anyway i know so your exact birthday (laughs) my exact birthday right what that's scary (laughs) but i would like to believe that i am more evolved and would not become a serial murderer Mm -hmm. i know the consequences and i don't want to spend time in jail so oh i don't want to either Like Hannah was saying, you know, you're just, there's a superficial level to this, right? There's a superficial Mm -hmm. level to this communication. It's really easy breezy. It's quite relaxed. You're kind of, you know, the social butterfly. And it's really easy to kind of make friends during this time. But it's, again, very superficial. There's no really deep meaning in it. So, I mean, keep that in mind. And then also, this is a fucking terrible time to make any life decision. So just don't fucking do it. As a Capricorn, Scorpio, Venus, I don't like superficiality. It's not I can good. sniff that out very easily. Hannah's got a nose for that. And then on Friday, August 26th, this is going to be a shitty day. I'm not going to lie. Ah, shit. Do you have plans? I might... Go meet my mom in Huntington Lake that weekend. Your mom's different, though, like, because, like, moms and daughter, like, that energy is a little different, isn't it? Yeah. Let's see what this day brings. Okay. So, let's, well, I'll just put this out there. So, number one, you're going to get a square. You're going to get Venus and Leo square with Uranus and Taurus. This is going to bring frustration as you encounter unexpected changes or delays. So keep that in mind if you're traveling, too, because that's a thing. I was thinking about traveling, so. Right. (laughs) And then keep that in mind because we're also going to get an additional square. (laughs) So it's like square, square. The sun in Virgo is going to be square with Mars in Gemini. So this is going to be a very 
restless day that brings conflict, miscommunication, nervousness, and anxiety. I can see that. And we will be going into Virgo season mm-hmm. this week, which is going to be a very touchy season for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this will be this will be great. Saturday, August 27th, we get a new moon in Virgo. This lunation will actually bring or give us the opportunity to look for ways to improve our lives. The devil's in the details, though, so try not to become too obsessed with organizing ha! all of the chaos yes. all at once. Not too Virgo-y. Right. Try to be a little bit more accepting of life's little imperfections. And on Sunday, and I know that's kind of a shitty end to the fucking week, but it's fine. It's fine. I think this week is going to be bad for me already, but it it's fine. It's not great. Sunday, Venus in Leo will be opposition to Saturn in Aquarius. And this is yet another Sunday where TCT recommends that you just stay the fuck at home, avoid people, have a lazy Sunday, do things that like make you happy because this aspect is going to leave us very frustrated and feeling underappreciated by the people in our lives. What about the cats in our lives? Well, I mean, that's always a thing because cats are assholes, but... I'm always underappreciated. <laughs> right? It's also going to be a very hard day to express the these feelings of frustration, which will lead to some pretty big conflicts. So yeah, if you are not around people, like, that's great. Sunday self-care day. Yeah. Let us know if you think that Jack was a douchebag as much as we did. Please do. But yeah, so Twitter, True Trine, Instagram, True Crime Trine, Facebook. We are TCT Podcast because that's what I manage. We also have True Crime Trine, but I don't post anything on there. I only do TCT Podcast, so hit us up on there. You can email us directly. We would love that. TrueCrimeTrine at gmail.com. And then our website is www.truecrimetrine.com. And now that I've gotten this script out of the way, because I was working on it Saturday and Sunday, Mm -hmm. and part of Monday, Tuesday, and it was hard to get this together. It was hard, guys. But now I've written this thing. I can work on the website this weekend. But you did a great job. It was very well executed. Just like Jack did to himself. (laughs) <laughs> His best murder. Yes. Okay. I think we're good. Bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.